welcome to a show where you will hear about how our liberty is being eroded by the very people that swear an oath to protect it. Today, the president signed a big new anti-terrorism bill that would expand the government's ability to track down terrorists, but at some cost. On this show, we will discuss many of the lies that the government, the government that hates us, by the way, we will discuss the lies that the people in positions of power and influence spread every day. And what is the best way to confuse children? Confuse them about their sexuality, confuse them about their gender, expose them to things that their little brains are not ready for yet. That is how they are confusing children. It is leading to chaos. And big daddy government, of course, can be there to pick, up, pick us all up and take care of us at the end of it. We will also talk about how current elected leadership at all levels of government has been corrupted by power and control, as well as discuss the types of leadership needed to correct our republic's course. We the people. It was time to remember that we the people are the government. Providing assistance for the Ukrainians to defeat the Russians, that's the number one priority for the United States right now. I am your host, Larry Linton, retired U.S. Navy Command Master Chief and prior Tennessee House of Representatives District 12 candidate, and welcome to the Liberty Leadership and Lies podcast. Welcome to this week's show, ladies and gentlemen, the wrap-up to the interview with Miss Andrea Gomez. Much as we did last week, I will let you hear from the show's sponsor, Anchor.fm, to minimize the interruption during the wrap-up to this wonderful interview. Welcome back. As I stated in the beginning, Miss Andrea Gomez joins the podcast again this week in part two of the interview to talk about the lies in the arena of government education. So let's welcome back Andrea and get on with the rest of the interview. Okay, number eight, social emotional learning is just character development and self-management. Yeah, okay. (laughs) (laughs) So social emotional learning is really the Trojan horse that has brought Marxism into our education system. And and this has been going on for for many years. Um, And it's the social emotional learning is also tied into the technology that the kids have access to the um, the surveys, the data mining, the, you know, collecting of data from our children um, to be able to um, then use that information to, to feed it back to kids in order to shape them into thinking collectively the way the, um, the Marxist education system wants them to think. Um, so it's not, uh, if you think about like character development, like, you know, we want, we want you to be able to make good decisions and, um, and be kind towards others. Those are all great things. But when you're looking at it through this global worldview, this global citizen worldview, it's very much a Marxist communist worldview. Do we have time for more? Oh, absolutely. Okay. All right. So let's see. Um, Number nine, science is the only form of knowledge and is always right. Evolution is a fact. No. Okay. 
That's why it's called the <laughs> theory of evolution, because it hasn't been proven yet. <laughs> right, but, but you see in education how they teach it. They don't teach it as a theory, and they don't balance it with teaching both sides. They don't teach creationism and evolution and then allow students to come to their own conclusion. Right, and because they, that's the, one of the roles that they're really started i mean that's where a the church abdicated its responsibility in the in the lives of every american decades ago is what i believe but when they when the government started teaching this evolution vice creation they did it with a with a goal in mind because if the people don't believe in a creator who who are they going to turn to in rough times exactly the government yeah yep Got to remove God from everything, destroy the family. Government becomes the parent. But the other side of it is that ultimately the big lie is that you get to become God. Right. And that's what we get into with the whole, you know, transgender and all of that kind of, that movement. Right. Um, all right. Number 10. This is, this is where we're starting to, I guess, get a little bit controversial. You must go to college to be successful. Oh, I love Mike Rowe. <laughs> <laughs> oh, right. Dirty jobs. Yeah, yes. Absolutely. Yeah. The trades. He's done a lot to dispel this. Yeah. Yeah. The trades are what built this country and what going to maintain this country if we ever get off on this. College education is the end all be all. I mean, because what is your master's degree in underwater basket weaving ever going <laughs> to provide you? Nothing. More indoctrination. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, so I actually have to admit that I used to believe this lie. Oh, same here. That's why I, you know, I, I made sure my daughter went to college. I paid for the college, but it, it is a huge lie. It is. And, and really, you know, I think this, um, I think this has a negative impact on, on kids in a lot of ways. Number one, not everyone um, wants to go to college. Not everybody is um, in a mindset of wanting to go to another four years of schooling when they get out. You know, they graduate high school at 18, and then the idea of turning and spending four or six or eight more years in school is um, very unappealing. You know, we all are gifted differently and um and and we have different skills and abilities and some people are really good at using their hands to um to build things to make things to design things and and so for those kids that um you know they want to spend a few years in the workforce before they go on but they're they're fed this lie that they should just go straight out of high school and go into college and if they don't there's something wrong with them or they're a loser somehow um, is very discouraging. Yeah, um, so I think you see a lot of kids try to make that transition into college and it just doesn't work out for them. And, and it ends up doing more damage to their self-esteem than it otherwise not going. It, it does. I agree. And then you got to, then you got to look into the government aspect of that because who finances really college education now? The federal uh, government, they <laughs> subsidize all federal loans, right? Because most of the private lenders were no are no longer giving student loans that aren't backed by the federal government. And that's why we see this huge student debt argument going on in our world right now. I mean, back when back in the 70s, a college education would have cost you about $1,000 a semester. 
at mm-hmm. a at a good school, but as soon as government put itself in there, it, it's the third party payer, right? The price yeah. goes up and up and up because the government will guarantee the loan, and then who ends? So the citizen once again is on the hook and owes to the government because they subsidize their loans. It's another method of control. Yep, and, and redistributing money. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, okay, so along the lines of that of that one is your child must go to pre-K to be successful. It wasn't around when I grew up. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't a thing. Um, I, I consider pre-K to be uh, daycare. Um, I know that's probably controversial. A lot of people think that that's the first thing they need to do is get their kid in a really good preschool. Um, I 100% disagree. Um, I do understand that many families function off of both parents working. Um, I think that's dangerous. Um, and that's probably very controversial as well. But um, I think the best place for your child at three and four years old is with, with the parent. Absolutely. Like a person that loves them and is there to protect them. And the learning that can be done, just having conversations with your child, playing games and puzzles or taking a walk or, you know, whatever it is that you like to do, um, the vocabulary and the relationship building, um, you know, you can teach your child all of their letters, their colors, their numbers, all in sign language and in English if you want to before they go to kindergarten. And then have a much stronger relationship with your child because of it. So I'm not a huge fan of um, pre-K programs. And again, where did pre-K programs come from? Probably communists. <laughs> or the government, right? The government. <laughs> the forced, state, yeah. Yeah. When the state does that, it's trying to get earlier control of your child. The, yep. the early deve- developmental years when it's so important that parents bond with their child, where they're learning the world, now it's left up to the government. And what are you going to get when you got your child's upbringing left up to a government that doesn't care for them, but just sees them as a resource? You're going to get an a, an activist child. Right. A woke activist is what you're going to get if the government is in charge, for sure. And the next one is right along with the woke activist mindset, which is the lie is celebrating your success is bragging and makes other kids feel bad. So we see this, and I've seen this for years, where um, we used to put a little chart up in the classroom that as students learn, let's say, for example, their multiplication tables, that's what they're working on. Let's say when they earned their ones, they got to sign their name. And then when they earned their twos, they got, you know, another little sticker or something by their name and then, you know, so on and so forth. So you're publicly displaying the names of students and and showing that they are achieving something and you're celebrating that. Well, this started years ago where that was like a big no-no. You can't do that because it makes other kids feel bad. So then we stopped putting up anything in the classroom that showed any sort of achievement at all. You are not allowed to celebrate anything. And then just recently, I think it was a Virginia high school. I might be wrong on that. There were some students that performed exceptionally well on a standardized test and they, they function or they perform so well, they could have gotten money and, you know, college scholarship and entrance Um, to some really good schools because of that. And the school neglected to even tell the students that they achieved that level and they lost out on the funding 
and the admission because they didn't even know. Yep, you're right. It was a Virginia school district that did that. I think one particular one particular school did it. And you're right. I mean, this this notion that rewarding people makes other people feel bad. You know, I'm a big proponent. I'm a leadership coach, and uh, I talk leadership, power bases, and influence tactics. And one of the best influence tactics a leader can have, it comes from your your reward power, the ability to reward good behavior. Because when you reward good behavior or high performing behavior, what do you get more of? You get the more behavior of that. you're rewarded. Yeah, absolutely, and that that does spur on others to get that because every human being likes to get a pat on the head. Everyone does. Regardless if they tell you they're a big meanie or a sourpuss or whatever, everybody likes to get told that they're doing a good job. Every human being does. So when you reward that, it gets them to continue to strive to get that and it, it spurs others around them to get it. But when you stop rewarding good behavior, what happens? Well, you've plateaued that behavior. And we know with normal currents in society and culture, if behaviors plateaued, it will be eroded. It's just like geology. If you mm-hmm. don't reward it, it gets eroded. And that's what we get here. We get mediocre across the board. Yeah. We get more mediocre. Yep, absolutely. All right. Uh, let's see. I don't know if you're ready for the next one. I'm always Well, this one, this one I think is easy. School choice will destroy public education and hurt minorities. I'm going to cheer for destroying public education, but it's false <laughs> that it, it, it hurts minorities. In fact, if school choice actually helps minorities. It, that's right. It does. Um, and obviously, we already know that public ed is, uh, has already been destroyed. The building is on fire. Providing um, school choice funding gives parents the um, financial incentive to rescue their child from the burning building. Absolutely. It, it kind of erodes that third-party payer by putting the money actually back in the parents' hands to figure out where to send their child to, to get a better education. That's right. Okay, now now I'm going to give you, I have two more, and they're both pretty controversial. Okay. You ready? Sure. All right. The, the next one is teachers should get paid more. Teachers go into their positions knowing what their pay is going to be. <laughs> now, I'm a former teacher, remember? Right. And I have, there have been times where I felt like I wasn't getting paid enough. So I don't make this as a blanket statement across the board. Right. Um, I do think that there are teachers out there that deserve to be paid more. Absolutely. Because they are changing, um, they're changing hearts, they're impacting kids positively, they're inspiring kids to strive and grow, and there are teachers that deserve to pay to get to earn more money. Um, And that's where that reward power base comes into play. If there is some teacher doing that, pay them for what they're worth. But, but, But keeping... Salaries the same across the board for high-performing teachers and and the mediocre teachers. You're doing a disservice to the good teachers and what happens to their behavior. Again, hey, yeah. Why why stay late and and spend extra time planning for your lessons when you see other teachers, you know, walking out with their students when the bell rings. Right. Joe Poop, the rag man right down the hall that just shows up and just sits in the desk while the students are there is getting the paid the same amount as you while your students are much higher performing. Absolutely not. So teachers should be paid based upon performance. 
They should. And then you also have to remember that, um, at least in Tennessee, there are 200 working days in a teacher contract. Um, so if you take their pay and divide it by the 200 days, you come up with a daily rate. And then if you wanted to figure out, well, what if that teacher did work a full year like a, you know some other employee, it would be about 240 days. So there's about 40 days a year that they're not working that if you worked in, say, retail or some other industry, um, so you, you you could make more if you work 40 more days, right, at another job. Um, and that would change the the annual income of a teacher. But um, And I have ideas about a year-round uh, system where teachers could actually make a little bit more money. But I think in general, this idea that we give more money to the school system because our teachers, and that's kind of the, the ploy, right? Is, oh, we got to pay our teachers more. We need to support them. And they deserve more money and they're so hardworking. But then, so we pay more. We think what we're giving is going to go to the teachers and it doesn't. It ends up building up their central office. Right. The administrators, the the people that are not involved in the day-to-day interaction with your children, they should definitely not be paid more than a teacher. Yeah. No, they shouldn't, and um, and there are there are way too many coaches in um, in public education today. So these are you know most likely a former classroom teacher. They've they've moved into a coaching role, and they 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 they're supposed to be meeting with teachers, coaching teachers, and then working with small groups of students. Um, I I didn't always see a lot of that going on in my experience. It could be different elsewhere. Um, but you have a lot of, you know, coaches, they're, they're getting paid what teachers are getting paid, but they're not in a classroom with 20 to 30 students, depending on them for every minute of the day. It's a very different role. They're doing a lot more like scheduling and grouping of students and so on and so forth. And, and yet they're getting, they're getting a teacher pay. Um, so there's, I think some wasteful spending going on because we're, you know, we're, we're trying to make education so complicated. And if we just went back to the basics, um, I think we'd be a whole lot better off. Right. It goes back to my original, uh, or my statement earlier that there is nothing so well designed to waste our money than the government. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Okay. Here's the big one. Okay. (laughs) God doesn't belong in schools. Uh, well, absolutely does. But see, here's where... I'm going to take a little bit of a different stance on that. God does belong in schools, but if we were to do that right now, who are we going to have introducing children to God in schools if we were to do it right now? That's a really good point. Absolutely. It depends, I think, on where you are. Uh Um, I know where I am, and I think where you are, you probably do have a lot of Christian teachers. Um, But I think if if we just were to allow the Ten Commandments to be taught in our public schools, I think we would um, we would see a drastic improvement right, um, across the board. Because that moral law is already written on our hearts. I mean, every right. human being has that already written on our hearts. But to see it reinforced in a public place would would do leaps and bounds better than anything that the government could introduce. Absolutely. And, you know, there is no subject that you can study from math to science, um, literature, art, architecture, music. There is no subject that isn't touched by God and isn't influenced by Jesus Christ. Absolutely. I mean, all things come from the creator. But that is, again, why 
government needs to get the creator out of the American people's psyche. They have to have government replace the creator. And that's what gets us to the uh, Marxist social activist curriculum that we have today. It's taken a hundred years. And And it's picking up speed exponentially. Yeah, it really is. Um, I think that obviously, you know, a lot of people credit COVID for opening a lot of parents' eyes because their kids were home and they were on the Chromebook and the parents were able to see more of what was going on and what their kids were being exposed to. Um, but it, it didn't start then. This has been going on for a long time. Um, the, the influence of this kind of Marxist communist, um, theology has been there since the 19, what, 10s, 1920s. Absolutely. Um, I, I believe our government really started as downhill trajectory in the, in the 1910s, the decade of the 1910s. With, well, I uh, mean, Woodrow we, Wilson? Uh, Yep. <laughs> Actually, when we started the uh, under Taft, when we started getting that Sixteenth Amendment going, which again grew the size of government and influenced the the income tax. So when you because when you tax when you get access first cut of every human being's money, because money really our tax dollars our sweat equity that represents a lot of our ability to enjoy our freedoms. The less that we have, the government has control. But that, that's a whole other topic for a whole other day. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <coughs> that would be a good topic to, to discuss, though. Yeah. Oh, well, that's all I've got, and I'm sure I'll come up with more later. Well, but, I am, um, Was that enough? Oh, that was definitely <laughs> enough. Uh, I enjoyed having you on. We definitely got to have you on about the topic of lies that the, uh, that the people are most believing and what we can do to counteract them. Because, like I said, it's increasing exponentially. And I've always said, or here recently, last few years now, homeschooling will save the republic because we definitely have to get, if government has any tie to our education system, specifically the federal government, if they have any ties to it, it is definitely detrimental. I mean, Ronald Reagan had the opportunity. The GOP platform in 1980 was to abolish the Federal Department of Education. They had a golden opportunity to do that. So his second biggest failure, besides the 1986 Amnesty Act, is failing to abolish the Federal Department of Education. Because you see its tentacles everywhere, especially this Title IX fight about, you know, boys and girls' bathrooms now. Oh, right. And being tied to school lunches and yep. Right. Because what better way to gain control of a population than to control the minds of their children? Yep. Absolutely. And this is why, you know, when I talk to activists across the state, election integrity is is a huge um, priority. Education is a huge priority. And they really go hand in hand. I mean, everything does hinge on election integrity. And we could talk about that on another day as well, if you'd like. But um even if we fixed election integrity and, and, and really cleaned that up, if we don't fix education, um, we haven't fixed anything. So, um, you know, it's, they, they just go hand in hand. They're the two most important issues for me um, to have some sort of an impact at the state level. Um, Absolutely. Because, I mean, uh, Gary talked about it. And, I, you know, I studied a little bit about the Gen Z voting this last midterm. It was a huge voting block and of 
what I call mentally challenged people because they've been indoctrinated by a public school system that doesn't care about the individual, just cares about the collective. So that's what these Gen Zers are voting for is more collectivism. Yeah. And it's only going to get worse until we take control of education. Yes. Teach the people that they are they are the true sovereign in our constitutional republic so that they can make sure that government stays in its constitutionally limited bounds and enjoys more freedom. So we can do a few things like you mentioned, we can um move away from federal funding for education. Um, for lots of things, but definitely for education. We can homeschool. That's huge. Um, but there are parents who won't homeschool. So we do have to fix the, the, the public schools. Right. We do have to put the fire out. So I kind of picture uh, being one of the people standing there trying to put the fire out on the school building while parents are running in and rescuing their kids. Um, that's, that's a good way to look at it. And, and then grabbing a couple of the kids on the way out and teaching them that trade of putting out fires exactly exactly raise up the next generation of uh insubordinate <laughs> fighters <laughs> absolutely <laughs> make defiant school again yeah well andrea it was a real pleasure having you on the show today and uh i'm, I'm trying to get the word out in advance of this being released that we got to get as many people to listen to what is actually happening and the lies that are actually being spread not only by government but by media and then these lies that are being believed by parents that have children in public schools. There is a way to still fix it, and that's by being involved. Show up to like the boards of education meeting. I go to them quite regularly. If we show up and we let these elected officials know that first, they work for us. Second, that the school district is the parents. We can actually start to get a little bit of that putting the fire out by getting parents involved and in, in fixing it at the local level and the state level is going to take a whole nother a whole different set of tactics but yeah we have to get federal funding separated and there's a way to that we could we could do that uh i've listened to a little bit of the john birch society on how we could set aside federal funding that's into trust funds where the state actually does have control of it with no ties or requirements to meet by the federal government because it is when it all boils right down to it, it is the citizens' money. It's not the government's, it's the citizens'. So we all got to take control. And we really do appreciate people like you standing in the arena, mainly for our kids, and then through our kids, saving our republic. I lost you right as uh, you were saying, getting par- getting people involved and engaged, going to school board meetings and so forth. And I 100% agree. And, and flip your school boards. Flip them. Flip your school board. Yeah, flip your school board. Find uh, like-minded people who would support having charter schools um, coming into your area. And um, that's the only way you're going to get charter schools is if you have a school board that supports it. Absolutely. And we're we're working that here in Sevier County. And uh, I think there's a couple of good candidates that are on the horizon for next year's election that I'm going to fully support them. So we've got to get control of that, people, because... Right now, our school boards don't even listen to us. They don't. They barely tolerate us being there. Here recently, they've even ordered all their principals to attend their monthly meeting. To, I think it's a show of force to, to fill up the room so there's very little parent attendance now. And to make it confrontational for parents yep. to speak. Yeah. yeah. And most parents aren't going to be confrontational because they just care about what's going into their kids' heads. 
But but the school board won't answer any questions. <laughs> no, they won't. Yep. They won't. They just blank stares. Well, once again, Andrea, thank you for coming on. Uh, I'm sure we'll get together again here soon about some more election integrity, and I hope to get you on the show for the election integrity part of your activism. All right. Well, I would love to do that. All right. Well, thank you for uh, thank you for calling, and we'll talk at you later. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. That wraps up the interview, ladies and gentlemen. For more information about this or any other show, please visit the website of libertyleadershipandlies.com. If you have any questions or requests, you can email me directly from the webpage. Before we close, we have this week's wisdom from God's Word, and it comes to us from Proverbs 22, 6. Start children off on the way they should go, and even when they are old, they will not turn from it. Government is actually trying to do that with the children, and it has been going on for generations now. It is the parents' authority, accountability, and responsibility to raise their children in the way they should go. Government education is not an equal partner in this endeavor. They are definitely not the primary entity responsible for the whole child, although they would like it to be so. Thank you all for listening this week, and I pray that you enjoy the rest of your weekend. Until next week, stand in the arena with me, Reveille, it's time to wake up.